Hi, everybody. It's me. It's Jeff. Hello. Brad is here. Hi. Behind the boards. Yep. Doing what Brad do. Pushing buttons over here. That's right. Moving sliders. Mm-hmm. Talking into the Sliding microphone. them up and down. Pot, potting them up and down. A lot of lights flashing. Okay. Well, I can't help you with any of that. Yeah. It's scary. Yeah. We're joined today by Samantha Coleman. How you doing? Hi. Hello. I'm good. It's good to see you. It's good to see you, too. It's yes. been a minute. Yeah. Uh, of of System Era Softworks. I am now of yeah. System Era Softworks. That's true. Uh, the Astroneer people. We are making a game called Astroneer. Yeah. It's fun. I found out about it on your website. <laughs> initially and, and now i work for them and you're like i'm gonna go make that did, Basically. You, did you see it and go like i can do that I was like this is extremely my shit yeah uh yeah it was, i remember yeah that, that first look we took at it it was yeah. like there's like really something here to this what was it what, what was it in seeing it that that drew you to it initially um it, I, I mean you know i made this colorful music game so yeah. color in mm-hmm. astroneer was very yeah, appealing the, the look right. of it was the first kind of thing that gets your attention but then right you get in there and there's the whole modular design thing where you can like plug yep. different systems together and make them do stuff. Yep. Slotting things together is yeah. very satisfying. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think it was the deform tool, like the terrain tool that yeah. you can just sculpt the terrain. Mm-hmm. It, something about it reminded me of like the old Unity 2.0 terrain engine where you could also like use a height map, but you know, yeah. Astronaut is voxels. So it's like 3D sculpting. It's kind of cool really technically challenging so uh, that's i mean yeah. th- that's kind of is that where you got your start basically is that how you kind of came into video games was through unity because you were um, yeah. like, was it like technology evangelist yeah, yeah. Uh, lar- largely through unity i guess the full story is i studied video and film in high school and mm-hmm. college community college um i got a job out of high school randomly doing testing at xbox So my first industry job was technically, I was like 19, Mm -hmm. working Xbox compliance, part of the certification process. Is it just like full on QA pit, just like the Mountain Dew zone, like all that sort of stuff? Yes. How did you know we called it that? You know, I just have a a, a feeling of what QA departments in that era. There are certain certain constants everywhere you go. Yeah. We did two, we did um, full certification passes. So so certification... Compliance is part of certification. So compliance is like, you know, we would take all of the rules that the mm-hmm. platform would set forth about like, here's, here's what the game must do to conform to be released. Like, so we were like the last check. Like before. Button, button prompts have to work this way. Exactly. And stuff like that. like yeah. don't have a PlayStation controller picture <laughs> in your Xbox game. No green triangles. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So um, well, there's a lot of stuff like, hey, plug this rock band, plug this Guitar Hero controller oh, in yeah. and see if it breaks. So actually, yeah. Like, what what yeah. era What era of Xbox are we talking? This was 2001. So this was right oh, before wow. the okay. first Xbox. That was, so Xbox. That was yeah. extra exciting about the job because I was working on this new console before mm-hmm. it came out. And we were seeing games that were basically done. Um, yeah. And so it was really fun, but we, we didn't get to play them. Of course, we were running through a checklist, like a test checklist right. of like every game had to have like 300 tests run. So there were like seven people, you know, split them up into different areas. Like, so there was one person who was dedicated to the controller matrix that's... and like unplugging and plugging in controllers in various configurations. It's just that sounds like fun for about six hours. Yeah. Just like I'm, I've got this rack of weird yep. controllers. Yep. I I'm give it one hour. Yeah. One hour. Or it's fun for one hour. Yeah. Then it's okay. not fun for the rest of the m- months that you work there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. The, yes. The the first the first yeah. chunk of time may be okay, and then you're like, I yeah. want to die. At least but, at least uh, you get to see Fusion Frenzy before anybody else. I did. Yeah. Um, and I was a huge Halo fan, a okay. Bungie fan at the time. Yeah. So mm. playing that was really amazing. I uh, you know got to play that before it came out. It was, it was a really good perk, especially um, at 19. Especially like yeah. straight out of high school. Like that's just some wide eyed like wonder at the world. It right? was. I was so wide. Yes. Um, I had my interview. I had my interview with my with the my boss, Mark McNulty. um, 
and I knew nothing about testing, but I really wanted the job. So he sort of was interested in my passion just mm-hmm. to do the thing. Um, and, you know, he was asking me all these questions about like, how would you test this game? How would you test that game? And so we started talking about Capcom SNK2. Uh-huh. It's like, how would you test that? And I was like, I've been playing this a lot. Uh, I've put all the characters <laughs> against each other and just like throwing ideas yeah. out there. So And then um, turn the volume down one notch and do it all over again. Exactly. Yeah. Um, every character against every character, mm-hmm. every move against every move, you know, testing hitboxes, testing sound, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, that parlayed into a, a time away from games in software testing. Um, but that time um, was when I discovered Unity. And mm. Unity was, you know, extremely new. It was just out of 1.0 beta. There was no documentation. It was Mac only. Um, but I huh, just started start, start on the Mac, huh? It started on yeah, Mac because did not know that. yeah, the two founder or two of the three founders met on the Apple OpenGL forum. Oh wow! And yeah. like were wanted to make games like, on their computers. Hey, we can yeah, we can help with this. Yeah, yeah. And how they, come no one's making Mac games? Exactly. Yeah. It, they, and they just started collaborating, and, mm. and it went from there. Um, Was it because of Bungie? turning its back on the Mac. <laughs> probably, they were like, we've got to fill in Probably. <laughs> it's actually Ambrosia Software. Do you remember them? The, um, they were like a Mac-only yes. publisher. They did the, a couple of weird the ports. The name is familiar. Like yeah. I, so I, I only used a Mac. At, in, in, at that time period, I'd only used a Mac in conjunction with like the year I was at a magazine. Yeah. Uh, and even then, I was the one guy in the, the office that had a PC because I was doing like sound card reviews mm-hmm, and just mm-hmm. like weird shit like that. Cool. Um, but yeah, there was like that, that period of time was like, I don't know, gosh, 94 or something. Yeah. It was like, okay, we're going to play some Spectre and yep. some dark, you know, like yep. the, the three Mac games that the were The three available. Mac games, uh, um, uh, Marathon, Spectre, yeah, Marathon, Spectre and, and, uh, dark, the Daedalus Encounter. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, they, uh, Ambrosia, well-known B, B game publisher for Mac. Um, and they made a game or they published a game, um, that the Unity team made called goo ball um Hmm. and while that team was making goo ball they decided to pivot into technology and focus on the engine and the editor tools so that's a little brief history they were they were called they used to be called over the edge entertainment (laughs) o-o-t-e-e dot dk was their website wow anyway uh (laughs) that's deep cuts yeah um and uh i'm old in the industry so i can tell you these stories um uh, let's see. So I, I found Unity and I was writing some some documentation for them because mm-hmm. um, I was testing it and learning it and just like accumulating this knowledge. So they they contracted me to to write some docs um, and that parlayed into a full time job after a couple of years. So I worked on Unity 1.5 and 1.6. And then during 2.0, I moved over to Denmark, switched over to mm-hmm. full time um, and like started shipping. I told them I told them, yes, I will work for you full time, but I want to be QA director. So mm-hmm. I came in as the test test tester i was like the only tester um, like all right you're the director of yeah. your own department <laughs> yep you're the director of yourself you're the, yeah congratulations <laughs> um but it was fun and it was good and as as the company grew i got to hire a few um other testers and sort mm-hmm. of train them on what i learned doing like software and web testing um i was also like helping a lot of people make games i'd made a couple of bad games on my own mm-hmm. that nobody played uh one called chaos machine and one called parallel destiny and uh, it's bad stuff um, they're really good names though thank you like th- that sound like it, it sound those sound like amiga game names to me yeah yeah <laughs> chaos machine was like a rube goldberg machine game oh, okay. where like yeah. you had like all cool. these parts and you're trying to move a ball from a dropper to a goal um i feel like every designer has to make a physics game and <laughs> right every designer have to make a platformer <laughs> at some point so uh and then parallel destiny was like basically trying to be res 
Mm. But um, and we was had, this before or after Res? This was after okay. Res. Oh yeah. I was gonna say if you. I was wondering if you had the anger of just like oh those guys. I, I basically met a. I, well, I was so inspired by Res. Yeah. Like I, you know, from the first moment I played it, that that game touched me uh, 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 in my life, and so yeah, that um, thing I like that was i was that was maybe i think that was the first tokyo game show i ever went to was when they were showing res mm-hmm. for the first time mm-hmm. project q yeah. yeah well uh uh, uh k project k project yeah k project. and and seeing they had named it by then oh okay, uh, but okay. It, so it was, it was already res oh um but yeah like watching this trailer looping on this screen and you just see it and go like okay i, I get that this is probably like a panzer dragoon kind of thing mm-hmm um but holy shit like yeah. like the whole pitch for that thing the the like i found myself just like well what is synesthesia really like yeah like, I, it, it led me to do research in a way that a lot of games don't yeah uh and, who is kandinsky right yeah mm-hmm. no totally mm-hmm. yes i was like did, did a quick crash course on kandinsky mm-hmm. pre-wikipedia mm-hmm. so it was a little bit harder nice, to nice. find but uh yeah that game i my pete my pc at home is still named after like still yeah, uh, K Project is and, still, and yeah. Um, uh, former One Uppers now Area Five right. named after Area Five of <laughs> yeah. Res. Yeah, and now uh, Mark McDonald. And now Mark McDonald working directly working, on. Yeah, he, he has become Res. Yeah, um, um, really, really important game to me, and so inspiring. So, like, I just tried to mimic it, and mm-hmm. then you know, I basically have been trying to mimic Res my entire <laughs> independent <some> career. <laughs> um, Centris was very much inspired by Res, but but mostly the the musical. Um, improvisational mm-hmm. aspects of Res and the sort of wireframe right. aspect of Res. Um, I think there's so much you can take inspiration from from that game that there's still a lot to to mine through. I tried. I don't know if you saw my VR prototype that was more like visual wireframes of Res a couple of years I, ago. I know. I th- okay. the battery was dead on your Man. phone okay. when you had. It. Um, it, it, uh, Vinny tried it. He almost fell over. That's he has the, that's classic. Because he has the yeah. they had no floor yeah, and he has, yeah. yeah, yeah. Classic Vinny. Uh, yeah, classic Vinny. Uh, <laughs> cannot handle a no-floored <laughs> VR experience. Yeah. Um, it's, it's his Achilles heel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess, yeah, I was at Unity for a few years um, to Denmark and back. I helped all these studios make games, and I watched the the, the customer base grow mm-hmm. and, like, you know, sort of looking at their bugs and, and asking them questions and helping make the engine better. Um but just you know had this like hmm, i want to i want to make games right and, and i was playing in a band while i was working at unity and i was learning how to be a musician and you know was just thinking more about music games like how, how do i do this so so centris was really kind of like a guiding light that took some time took some years from like leaving uh, denmark and wanting to focus on it trying a couple of experiments mm-hmm. i did one called sen which is on congregate maybe it still works oh yeah um that was like a proto centrist and didn't work very well. Um, but it was like a step, right? Yeah. So it was like, this is all these steps, like parallel destiny was kind of part of the same project, Sen and then centrist and the, the multiple, like seven different prototype iterations of centrist right. throughout that whole project. Yeah. I was going to say like yeah. centrist, you know, like, like going through that process. I, I mean, you know, it, it's so much different. I mean, it's so much different today than it was, when you were making centrist, but at the yeah. time, like when, when centrist was coming out and all this other stuff, like the, the notion of early access and games yeah. changing while they were technically on sale mm-hmm, and all that mm-hmm. other stuff. Like, I, I know you've talked about it other places and stuff, but like how, you know, what was that like, like mixing the, 
like, okay, you've got this thing out there. You've got your ideas about how you want it to, how you want centrist to develop and how you want it to form up. Mm -hmm. And then that gets met with like, okay, here's the, here's like some fan feedback or yeah. you know some some data to to put against yeah. it it's not just like testers you brought in but like real world some stuff. market realities yeah. yeah absolutely um it's it's really interesting i think i think that i'm learning that games just change so fast like mm-hmm. um you know there's a zeitgeist every week a new zeitgeist every week and what what worked a month ago doesn't work this mm-hmm. month um and so for for me and centris like i kickstarted it sort of right at the the falling of the crest of sort of like the the be- the biggest opportunities for for unknown people mm. on on Kickstarter, where um, there was a lot of um, you know there were a lot of, of of projects like FTL did this. It was right. funded like less than a year prior, and they had like a no production value you know video that was just the two of them talking heads, mm. bad audio, but like here's what we want to do, and this is what we're gonna you know this is why yeah. we're doing it, and you know got crazy funded and so um and i and i I feel pretty strongly that just a couple months after my campaign um finished that this like there were so many uh like the, the stakes got raised on right. on on Kickstarter, and so many indies brought what had worked for those sort of lower five pitches mm-hmm. and it just wasn't working right um so i got really lucky there um with um testing and feedback um it, 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 it was a really weird experience because the game as a spinning circle was sort of like would draw people in with this sort of mesmerizing aspect right. that i that i didn't plan for mm-hmm. um but appreciated but then they would sit down and people would sit down and play and it would take them some time to figure it out and they would say like you know okay it took me like i figured this part out but it took me steps a through z yeah and i was like okay well that's too long can we make it a through d mm-hmm. um and so a lot of the work that i did through all those different prototypes was trying to figure out like how to make the the core game loop more um more intuitive Mm. so like i was trying to like recreate this sort of timeless timelessness of of tetris where you just look at it and like oh well you put the shapes together right yeah um fill the holes yeah fill the holes um but but like what's the musical version of that like what's Mm. the oh you just play the song like what's that yeah and that's what i was looking for i imagine like at some point it's like getting people who i'm sure a lot of people just like i don't know about the music i can't play your fancy spinning instrument it's it's not it's not a spinning instrument. Yeah. It can be, but it's like, yeah, like getting people to understand that like you're like that the game is there to meet them halfway. Yeah. Uh, that, that was a huge challenge in the messaging because mm-hmm. people would, would run up against like, Oh, well I don't know how to make music. Therefore yeah. I probably can't play this game. Yeah. And I would respond with, well, you feel like you can't make music. You're the exact person I'm making this game for. Mm-hmm. And what I learned is that people have this sort of like inherent, like, self-judgmental aspect about about making music like it's really intimidating to people and that was part of the problem domain of like how do i make this more comfortable Mm. and and i I think that that's the piece that that the game that the finished game doesn't succeed at it's still a little bit too much mm, of an enigmatic game Mm, it's not welcoming enough um it's some pretty abstract like Kind of high concept stuff. Yeah. Sure. And and my gamble was that the abstract nature would be like, okay, well, it's equally confusing to everyone. But if I can make it just a little confusing and interesting enough to want for people to want to try, that they would. Um and, and again, like the finished game just never got there, right? Like, 
market realities. It, it yeah. didn't, it, like I took it to early access, like the, the early access launch performed better, uh, like sold more copies than the finished game mm-hmm. for the first year. Yeah. Right. So that was remarkable that like, well, I think that's the, you know, cause you end up, once you're selling your first play, you know, your first playable on sale thing yeah. at some point that that's, that's when you have people talking about it. And, yeah. and it feels like, I mean, for, especially these days for a lot of early access games, it's maybe the worst time to have like a, like a focused amount of attention on that project mm-hmm. because the things come so far. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. It's definitely, like we were just saying like a, it ends up being this weird thing for us of just like, it's not about who's first to cover the game. You know, there's mm-hmm. a ton of games that come out every day on steam. We could devote 100% of our time to doing like, here's footage of every single early access thing that came out on steam. Yeah. But like, that's not useful and it doesn't, it doesn't allow for like the development of the game. Like, hey, we're going to check back in on this. Like, there's no room for that anymore. Uh, and it's it's a weird time uh, for for us. I think you know, just like covering mm-hmm. games, yeah. trying to figure out that end of it as well. How do you make those decisions about like if you know you don't have to be first, then how do you decide what or when to show? Something? It ends up being what we're into, and, and okay. you know, we so we end up. I think the the difference these days is there's a lot more stuff that we are playing and not covering. Okay. Uh, whether it's like, whether it's a game where like, oh, you know, like just super not into this top yeah. to bottom yeah. or whether it's like, ah, there's just not enough here yet for us to do something with mm-hmm. and then maybe like mention it on a podcast or, or, or you know, something like that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then check back on it or hopefully remember to check back in on it yeah. because everything is moving so fast these days. Yeah. Like there are definitely some games that just slip through the cracks. Do you, do you consider yourself doing curatorial work at this point that was the hope that was always when we first started giant bomb and just the the reality is just like this is going to be a much smaller team that we had mm-hmm. at GameSpot, um <clears throat> where the mandate really was try to cover everything in fact like there were algorithms that were dependent on like this game needs to have at least five screenshots in the mm-hmm. game space mm-hmm. and oh this is a bigger game so it needs to have 10 and two videos mm-hmm. and this one gets a review and like they tried to build robots to do an editor's job Oh. Which at the time, because like an editor's job is is supposed to be like that kind of go with your gut. What does mm-hmm. the audience want? Try to be a step ahead of them mm-hmm. in anticipating what kind of coverage they're going to want of what games. Mm-hmm. And they built a page that said, you don't have enough screenshots of this game. Wow. It's like uh, it's like a reminder for minimum viable content. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and <sighs> and so, you know, we we knew early on that like there's no way we're going to be able to even approach that and it's it's also super not interested in trying to do that anymore mm-hmm. uh so at that point we thought of it as more curatorial mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. like okay we're gonna try to you know hit the games that we think people should know about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and and so it became very much like here's the stuff we're into mm-hmm. uh here's the stuff we're playing right now and and i think that's still basically it but yeah. as it's expanded I don't know, like, you know, things are so different. I think it works with your audience, too, because they know you guys and your tastes. And so they know who they sort of jive with and who they don't. Yeah. And then when that personal uh, opinion comes out, then they sort of have that baseline to go like, okay, well, you know, Jeff's into this. I'm probably into it. Or I'm definitely not into it, right? Like, Right, exactly. That that was always the hope. It was like, even if if I'm out here saying like, here's this game, I don't like it, here's why. Yeah. If someone comes to that and says like, actually the things you're saying still sound pretty good and they're into it, like, I'm... cool great awesome mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. if you got something out of it either way mm-hmm. outstanding 
Um, what and, I, and yeah, but the, I think the, the thing that changes like, you know, or, or over time is like, it's like, okay, well, you know, are we going to try to dip into some episodic stuff and, mm-hmm. and playing more older games mm-hmm. here and there, mm-hmm. which has been a lot of fun lately. Yeah. Uh, and so it, it go becomes, him on. Yeah. That is extremely well, my shit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, that I don't please, know that I've ever seen that please, game. Please play the SNES version next. Oh, I love that game. Yeah. That's, it's that's Brad's so shit for sure. Good. Yeah. That game's so cool. Um, yeah. Kid uh, Ying, Dr. Yang. Yes. <laughs> I, so I, I played that game. I, like I had a copy of that game when it first came out, yeah. but, but no one to play it with. And so I would play it and just like, I, this doesn't make any sense to me. I never got anywhere in that game. So oh, I, just, I, just, I, fin- I, I, I rented it a couple of times mm-hmm. as a kid and just finished it because I just had to. It was so, yeah. I loved it so much. Um, I don't think I ever finished the 64 version, so it's fun to. It's to been watch fun watching there. Ben play through that thing <laughs> because. Like, you know, you look at it as like, oh, this kind of predated Ocarina of Time mm-hmm. a little bit. There's something and... about the character animation that also really reminds me of the way Link moves. Yeah. Like in the running animation or something. I don't know. But it's also it's got a character detail. in a way that like for this early N64 game mm-hmm. to have like, you know, these animations that just kind of pop that way of just like, oh, this guy creeping around on his back when he <laughs> his crawl animation. <laughs> yeah. It's just so skeevy. It's, it's just like, oh, you scumbag. It's it also like horrible. the scale of the adventure like going across japan right. is so cool yeah uh, i could talk about going yeah all day. it's <laughs> a it's a it's way cooler than i ever gave it credit for originally yeah. but i don't think know that i ever spent any real amount of time with it back there's in the like day. a lot of games that never came out here too right I mean, there's at least three or something yeah i yeah. have to research it more yeah dig in see if there's any fan translations yeah. of that sort of stuff yeah I my i still need to get a fan translation of uh, Secret of Mana three. Yeah, a second to Tetsu three. Yeah, yeah. I, have, I have like since it existed, I have dreamed of playing through that game and just yeah. never have. That yeah. was the, that was the game where I, I, I saw. I love Secret of Mana, and yeah, then when totally. I saw that there was a new one, it's like there's six characters <laughs> Not, yeah, and you can yeah. choose three of them, totally. but only three. And, like, and the story adapts to who you pick, and uh-huh. like, like the, your choice of starting character depends or determines like where in the world you start and uh-huh. what's going on. Like it was, sounded so elaborate. It's the original MMO. Yeah, it was starting different starting uh, zones. Single player MMO. Right. Yes. Um, Finally. That was that was the game that had me almost not quite, but considering getting a super wild card, those floppy drives that you plug into the top of the SNES. Wow. And load games off a floppy disk. Man. Because there even then, even in the nineties, there were fan translations of of SNES games floating around Mm -hmm. on the internet Mm -hmm. that you could get. The the IPS patch format has a long and storied history when it comes to console (laughs) games for sure. Um, that was the uh, that was the game that made me decide to take Japanese class because like well mm. this is never coming out in English I wasn't aware of the patches so yeah. I was like I'm just gonna learn Japanese so I can play it anyway and never became fluent enough to do that <laughs> I, I feel like that's the you don't hear about that as much anymore I feel like that yeah. was like pretty common yeah. story in the 16 bit mm-hmm. era it was, it was so annoying that the SNES had a high enough resolution to render kanji. Because yeah. you, could, you could get by just knowing Kano with uh, NES games because mm-hmm. that was because it was too low res, mm-hmm. so you could you know pretty simple alphabet. But mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was it was way too much to learn to play SNES yeah. games. That was also an era when like the well, for, I guess for me it was like when I was in Japanese class, like the sixty four was coming out mm-hmm. or had just come out, and um, I had access to a local import shop. So I was like importing dangerous combination Bomberman 64 that had this like story mode and right. Yeah. Ridiculous and fun. Yeah. That was, I mean, so that was around the time that like 
yeah, we were, I, that was around the time that I was starting to run reviews mm-hmm. and the, someone said like, you kind of have a, a loose budget to buy import games with. Mm-hmm. And so there was an import shop here in town that we would just drive to yeah. and just get whatever. I remember you guys would yeah. cover would cover the import games. Yeah. I, th- I loved that. Yeah, it was, it was fun. Publishers hated it. Mm-hmm. Capcom fucking hated well, it. Well, because... Electronics Boutique, mm-hmm. now Games GameStop, yeah, yeah, GameStop started yeah. Im- started carrying import right. games, yeah. and is I'm I'm willing to bet it's because you guys were covering them. There was probably more demand for it at the time, yeah. or, or increasing demand for it, I guess, yeah. as people figured out how to like put a paperclip in their PlayStation just so yeah. to to make that stuff work. But there was also like the Saturn. You had yeah. that very accessible. Um, uh, memory card that would right. double yeah. as like, like a, a region, region free region yeah. um, and fighting games were in a really nice era yep. at that time yeah. so I was playing X-Men and versus Street Fighter Japanese so, so on that's Saturn. What, that's specifically <laughs> why Capcom hated it so much because we would review the Japanese versions of these games yeah. and then not cover it when you know then, then like eight months later however long when they were like hey we got the we got this x-men versus street fighter and you're just like yeah you it's the same no we're, we're good we're, yeah. we understand what that is yeah yeah um and and we would not do additional preview coverage for the u.s version mm-hmm. they were like oh no mm-hmm. uh they they were they were very much against it and but. and most of the consoles are region free now right uh yeah switch is um ps4, PS4 is, is yeah. xbox one is yeah, yeah. i guess that's yeah. i think it's like optional like if you're yeah. at the publisher level if you want mm. to make a game locked down to a region you can yeah but, but i'd there aren't a lot of great reasons to do that i don't yeah. think so that's such an interesting possibly downstream effect of right. that dynamic that you're talking about i wonder right yeah. like if people want the thing they're gonna get the, the thing. thing i think that the capcom and a lot of other publishers had to realize in that era was like the time between releases is unacceptable mm. and so localization probably stepped up alongside mm. to get those release dates closer mm-hmm. so that the u.s skew wouldn't be savaged by importers mm-hmm. and like you know, mm-hmm. especially for these smaller games and stuff uh, and then, yeah, I don't know. I just think, you know, between digital releases and all this stuff, like the era of the worldwide release has been generally pretty good. It used to be like, you know what, like we would get games on Tuesdays that then in the in the UK they wouldn't get until Friday mm-hmm. it, or six months later than that, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. was already six months later than Japan. And then Australia would get somehow fucked over even worse and and then uh, and then the u.s would get fucked over sometimes with not getting the english version of vib ribbon that came out in exactly. england yeah what the hell like a, ra- a rare case i'm still bitter like, about that but yes i i have a pal version of vib ribbon that yeah. i can't readily play because it's a fucking pal <laughs> i wear a hoodie I, with vibri on the back every day of my life yeah you're my hero, that's, Brad. That's how much that's how much I like Fibber. Yeah. I've never been more in love with you than I am right now. <laughs> yeah, you can see it, it's at my desk. Yeah. Um, I had a I imported the Dreamcast version of Shenmue 2 from, mm. from Europe because it was compatible. And then I oh, right. only yeah. played like the first three hours. Yeah. Because I was like, oh yeah. Oh right. Shenmue, that's what this is. Yeah. Excited for Shenmue 3 then is what I'm hearing. Oh, I I backed it. Really? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right then. Uh, but I wish them luck. I wish them all the luck course, in the world because, yeah. of course, I want them to succeed. I love that there's a passionate fan base out there, mm. and I love that he's still making that game. I love that he's making it's, games at all. Like, yeah. You know, and that's I think that another thing is like, um, you know, I've been at I've been at GDC all week, and I'm I'm seeing so many new young faces, mm-hmm. and I'm talking with you know people that I consider my mentors that 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 made games that I played growing up, and um, they're considering me their peers 
or the, the you know people, i'm like thank you for being my mentor and the person i'm talking to is like you're my peer what are you talking about and that's weird to me so i'm i'm noticing this generational thing and so mm-hmm. i think about um it is it is you suzuki who yep. made Jimmy, yeah, yeah, right yeah. so you know he how long has he been in the industry and I like mean, the fact that's that, like outrun you know yeah, like hang yeah, on, 30, you know, all the yeah. 35 years yeah. or something. and and how many cases do we have where where designers in particular and creative leaders stick around in games that long like let's definitely support them like yeah. let's like like you know it doesn't have to be young blood all the time there's right. room for everybody and like I, I I just I don't want I don't want to see old talent get squeezed out in any way yeah I think that's something that you know from you know I, I just love to hear those stories I wish I had made it over this morning I was stuck in traffic mm-hmm. uh, but the NBA jam postmortem was this oh, morning I missed that too Mark Turmel's birthday also hey happy Ent- birthday enter, Mark. enter today into an NBA jam machine to play as Mark Turmel he might be uh, on fire he, maybe okay. maybe uh, he's at least heating up yeah but like that's you know he was making Apple II games wow you know originally and then became this, you know, amazing arcade designer and, mm-hmm. and now has done like a lot of he's been able to I feel like every game that Termel's been associated with, you you can get on fire. Yeah. There, was like, there was like a Wizard of Oz <laughs> match three from mobile that okay. I, I'm pretty sure you can actually get on fire in that game. I want to see any character from Wizard of Oz on fire. Yeah. Especially uh, the the Scarecrow. Yes. That's a I mean, that's a short-term bonus in this case, Scarecrow. Probably the, burn those who the burn up, the brightest die, ex- burn out the fastest. I believe that's exactly how that phrase goes. Um, uh, <laughs> <so> <laughs> um, I hope that he hasn't patented that because I definitely want to make a game I where characters like catch enough, on fire. Uh, enough other games have done it. Okay. You just have to change lot. the language just enough to okay. yeah. run afoul of any copyright. He's, He's extremely warm. There you go. He's a flame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's sparking like crazy. Yeah. Let's, 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 let's workshop this yeah. a little bit more. The, you could have a look at maybe like a lightning effect. Yeah. Nope. There was an arena football game that Midway did that actually did <sighs> lightning instead of fire. Now that I think about it. He's glowing profusely. Yes. There you go. Okay. He's radioactive. Oh. Just mutates. Yeah. Just non nondescript lighting effects. Like it could be anything. <laughs> He's neon. There's a brightness about <laughs> this character. Go toward the light. Yeah. The light is good. <laughs> Don't fight it. Don't have to, yeah, just go into Give the light. Give into it. Give into the light. <laughs> so so after uh, spending time on on Centris, yeah. um, you saw Astroneer. I saw Astroneer. So um, I, I, I thought it was really interesting, and I applied for a job at System Era the following spring. Um I was in a period at that time of trying to make it as a contractor and a consultant for VR stuff Mm -hmm. because I had VR been in my jam for a couple of years at that point. Um, And that was not working out. Mm -hmm. So how do you feel about, I mean, you know, aside from your very personal case of it not working, but how do you feel about where VR is at as a, like creatively and as a business? Because I I feel like it's two Um, pretty different things these days. I'm really pleased by the success, uh, market success and creative success of Moss. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard some wonderful things about that game. I got to play an alpha, a pre-alpha of it a couple of years ago, and um, I have. I will admit, so, so like the successes like that k- keep the fire alive. Yeah, like keep me on fire. Um, the um, I've I will admit that I have sort of stepped away from paying so much close attention to yeah. VR. Um, I've been trying to like take a step back and look at how you know players and um 
if we, if Facebook is going after the mass market, like if Facebook wants to bring VR to everyone that has a smartphone, then um, what are the what are the things that a smartphone does that VR doesn't do that are the barriers? And yeah. like, how do people? So like, what's the social implications or mm-hmm. what's the social um, dynamics of uh, preventing VR from hitting big? Um, and and you know, I I, th- I think that my opinion would be echoing a lot of other opinions, which is that it has to be. You know, more seamless has to be more fashionable, has to be less clunky, wear, right. more wearable, um, more sort of in and out. Mm-hmm. Um, What's their all in one? Is it Oculus Go? Oculus Go. What do you, yeah. yeah. what do you, what do you yeah. think about the chances for that thing? Because I mean, like the you know the like the Gear VRs and the whatever you know the whole line of like shove your phone into a thing. Yeah, uh, that concept is maybe a little inelegant but it yeah. does leverage the fact that everybody already has a phone in their pockets like so you yeah. have you have the expensive yeah. piece you ha- yes, already you have, you have yeah. the processing already so i wonder i wonder if this all in one thing is is going to be a big ask just to get people to spend that money again to, um, to buy it but but I, but it does have the elegance you know it has the the upside is it is just a single thing that you yep. put in your head and it works so. my question is where do you use that like do you actually carry that around yeah. right like e- like even the the oculus um yeah phone based oculus it's been so long. I'm actually forgetting the names of these headsets. Uh, this Gear is actually, VR. I'm really embarrassing. Thank you. Yes, yeah. Gear VR. How could I have yeah. two of those at home? How could I forget the name of that? I have one so, in a drawer somewhere. Nice. Yeah. Um, Don't I'm own an Android my f- phone though. So ah, uh, <laughs> well, I'm sure Apple will do a thing at some point. Yeah. Um, even if you have your phone with you, you don't always have your headset with you. So right. I was explicitly carrying it around yep. and then like, that was fun I feel for like me. There but... was, there was the era of Samantha Coleman where every yeah. time I saw you, you were busting out a good yeah. VR I for someone. I was just wearing it on my yeah, head. Yeah. Like, yeah. Freaking goggles. It was like, no, here, check this out. I um, was so, that uh, was so fun. Uh, uh, and, and, and really what I think what happened from there, like I'm, I'm still so creatively excited about VR. Yeah. I think I'm a little bit disappointed in the market realities of it because right. there's just unless you're extremely lucky uh you, there's no audience it's and expensive it's, and it's, it's not sustainable and I, you know like I, the thing i came to realize like early on you think of course i want these big sweeping grand experiences yeah. and, and i want the big triple a vr and then as companies started making more and more things that were approaching that territory the thing i realized is like I have people in my life and I yeah. not, cannot disappear for seven hours straight into exactly. this thing the same way I can in exactly. front of a TV. Also, the physical yeah. reality is that you may not want to. Right. Yeah. yeah. Even even if you're playing, even if you're sitting on the couch playing a game, you can still hear the people in the room. Yep. You can still turn your head and look at the people in the room. Mm-hmm. You can still talk to people in the room. And like that, that has to be as accessible for yeah. VR. Like you have to be able to interact with people. Um, and I think that it's both a software and a hardware problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that my other my other sort of shift since that since that era, and I take pride in having many eras of myself. Thank you for yeah. noticing that. Um, um, is uh, is that I'm not sure. I believe that games are going to be the killer app for VR. Right. I think it's going to be more smartphone type stuff. It's going to be like um, you know I tr- I try not to pull out my phone when I'm in conversation with someone. Uh, I have like a smartwatch type thing now. Mm. And when that, when I get a message, it buzzes my wrist and I try to not just like immediately like look away from the person I'm talking to. But I could see like if I, if, if uh, I see notifications in the corner of my eye, if they're well rendered or if they're like hanging out, then I can without really interrupting the conversation sort of glance and 
and then glance away. Yeah, right? like, and, and know if it's something dire. Yeah, or something like, oh, this actually demands real attention. Yeah, or not. And then, yeah. and then, and then, when that conversation's done, I can I can follow up, or right. I can push a button on my on my glasses or my headset, and then I can mm-hmm. like follow some you know mixed reality pathway to my right. next appointment or whatever. Yeah. Or you know, I don't know if it'll be business. I don't know if it'll be like like fun social like chat stuff. I yeah. don't know. Um, but it's got to be seamless. Like it's got to be in and out. Right. Um, um, and I think that that, you know, that will create an opportunity for people that like, oh, I have this thing mm-hmm. and I, I use it for these things. I use it for these utilities. Um, how can I have some more fun with it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. What are some games I can play? Mm-hmm. And then, oh, you have this too. Like, let's play this cool VR game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, like, it's, it's the thing that kind of makes me way more curious about something like Magic Leap and some of the AR yeah. stuff. And just I think like, that's really you know, interesting. Like people that are getting closer to figuring out the seamless aspects of it mm-hmm. or, or in terms of just like and some of their claims i don't I don't know like i've i've talked to people who've tried it and they yeah. said like no this is everything they say it is they yeah. just need to tweak little bits yeah uh, but when they get out there and say like oh you know we don't think our employees are going to have monitors on their desks yeah. in 18 months or, yeah. or whatever the time frame was and you're just like typewriters like yeah okay no. that's yeah right yeah, yeah. yeah go all the way back <laughs> typewriters but with no paper in it yeah. because <laughs> Your mind is the paper. Your mind. Oh, um, it was in your mind the yeah, whole time. Uh, that it's exciting and also yeah. still a little preposterous. And it's this the weird. It's a weird time right now. At, like you for, know, that, for that stuff. I read this. Oh, so I, I'm excited about Magic Leap. I haven't tried it. I know mm. people that work on it, and yeah. I'm excited. I'm yeah. op- I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, I read a book called Technopoly. Mm-hmm. by neil postman who mm-hmm. is a historian and academic he wrote this book in the early 90s and it was a it's about the the role of technology in our lives yeah and the one the thesis of the book is um that w- we in this country even 25 years ago are are sort of worshiping technology um and treating it as a kind of authority sort of above family above government above religion Mm -hmm. and that that sort of obsession and worship and um uh you know single-mindedness um is is not a great place to be and so and so you know since i read that book like i've been really mindful about like when i'm having a conversation i want to keep my phone away Mm -hmm. um but but like i see these patterns you know emerging about like we do worship technology for the sake of technology so when i hear something about like you know employees won't have monitors it's like well why is that because monitors don't work or because you have something that's better or just because you're religious about this technology is it like because you can yeah yeah Yeah. also also what are the hidden deleterious effects of that on the human experience on society absolutely like it's kind of like part and parcel with the worship of tech that you're talking about is this implicit assumption that it's always going to drive progress forward yeah the algorithm is going to be good right go toward the algorithm right like it's taken us 20 30 years to realize like hey just because you make more advanced tech doesn't automatically make it a good thing yeah like it it can regress aspects of society it's it's not just that it's that every every sort of endeavor like this like every new technology is trying to solve a problem like it's Mm. trying to make our lives better um, but it, but it, it, we never can anticipate a hundred percent of the effects. So, like, think about iPhone before push notifications. Right. It was a thing that you had to always opt into to look at. Yeah. And um, post push notifications, 
now we are checking our phones constantly yeah, it turned, because it turned into a drip maybe there's a thing, right? It yeah. gets into that, um, into that, and, like, uh, the, that Skinner box type yeah. mentality. This, and this, like, the scary after effect of it are, like, we paid extra money to offload some of those notifications to our wrists now. Yeah. And it feels good. Does it? It feels better than when I was pulling my phone out all the time. <laughs> But that's but then you if you look at it a little more closely, suddenly it's like, oh man, this yeah. is like I'm this I've just dug myself deeper into the hole yeah. as an, in an yeah. attempt to get out of the hole. Sure, I see uh, that. But it's cool at the same time. It, it, it's cool. That factor of just like it's cool that this stuff exists, and as someone who is excited about that cool shit, I still like that cool shit. There's a lot of sense pleasure built into the thing on your wrist. Yeah. Like cool animations and colors Mm -hmm. and like the heartbeat thing. For me, it's been the weird data aspect of it. Yeah. Just like kind of in conjunction with just like, I'm going to start eating better and maybe start doing some VR workouts and stuff like that. Like having something that is a fitness tracker is something like I never thought I would use or care about. Yeah. Now it's like, oh, I'm going to opt into all these heart studies because I'm actually Mm -hmm. curious about hey can they detect weird shit you know like like murmurs things going on with people and so like the idea of like i'm going to contribute to this i'm going to opt into them Uh monitoring my heartbeat Uh because hopefully that will help someone maybe even me someday exactly like it felt powerful and like it was a useful helpful thing to do but at the same time it's like I'm just signing away more data. Yeah. You're giving away I'm your data away that they're going to sell for a lot of money. Right. Are, I have a question. Are, did, was fitness and was health a key factor in your decision to get a smartwatch? No. Okay. Uh, it, well, so it was part of it. There, there was gonna, like, I was getting to this point where I was like, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start yeah. taking a little bit better care of myself. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I started looking at things I could do to kind of make that um because i've had those feelings before and Mm -hmm. it's never really happened Mm -hmm. you know um i bought a a shitty like a jawbone up at some point Mm -hmm. a while ago Mm -hmm. and and like i went on like two walks with it and i said it's just not enough here yeah um this the this apple it has enough there Mm -hmm. it's got charts and graphs Mm -hmm. and stuff and so it ends up being the situation where like being able to have it do a lot of the charting of progress and all that other stuff I now feel a little more in tune with my body. Yes. And and there you can start to see the cause and effect stuff in a way that I've never really paid much attention to. Yeah. It's always just been this constant. And every few years I would go get checked out and they would be like, your cholesterol is weirdly low hmm. for how much garbage you put in your body. Yeah, and yeah, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, all right, cool. And then yeah. leave and just go about my business. <laughs> like, I'm fine. And now it's like, ah, you know, I'm going to maybe try to do a little yeah. bit better than that. Yeah. And having... Like, even on days where it's like, I ate a ton of just, like, I oh, I went out with some friends and we ate garbage. Mm-hmm. And being able to see what that does mm-hmm. is just as interesting and weirdly rewarding mm-hmm. as seeing, like, this, like, weight graph going down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to have, it, if you have, it's that feeling of being in tune with it just a little bit mm-hmm. more. And it's mm-hmm. going like, okay, I'm starting to chart my body in a way that was just, it was a black box. Yeah. You know, just, like, garbage goes in, garbage goes out. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm a mess. Mm-hmm. The cart, the cart is actually starting to lead the horse on that stuff a little bit. Like my health insurance is going to start giving away Apple watches in a few months. Wow. Yeah. But the catch is that you have to then pay the watch off by hitting fitness goals. Oh, I love you that. Can, you yeah. can earn, I think if you hit all three of your daily goals, you're earning like just over $4 a day against the price of the watch. 
Wow. I don't know how much time you have to pay it off. Maybe if you don't do it within a year, they make you pay the balance or something. But like, wow. like think about that. Like insurance companies hate giving people anything. You yeah. Know? It's and, cheaper. But, like, but yeah, like yeah. Preventative like the, care. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it's the thing that you want, like more people across the health industry and mm-hmm. the government and all this other stuff to realize is the notion that like a little bit of preventative care goes a long fucking way. It goes a long way. And I, I, the last year has been for me very much about getting back into my body the same way mm. for you. Like I got, I got a Samsung fitness tracker. Yeah. So it's not a smartwatch, but it has like, it'll buzz when I have a notification. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I use it. It's like a step tracker as a heartbeat tracker. And it's a calorie tracker. Mm-hmm. So I use it in conjunction with like tracking what I'm eating and mm you know, I'm, I have weight loss goals. So like, how do, how fast do I do that? Like how, how, you know, I'm going to be boring for a second. How many (laughs) calories does my body burn normally if I'm just like sitting at my desk all day? What's your basal metabolic rate? Uh, turns out it's (laughs) 1700 calories a day. I wasn't expecting an answer. And then, um, I know that off the top of my head (laughs) and then because this fucking thing tells me uh, I'm at 10,056 right now or 1056 right now. Um, and then I have, I'm try, I, saw, I tried to burn. I saw that Facebook picture of those donuts earlier. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I have another one in my bag. Oh, wow. uh, okay. So that's, you know, that's, I don't know. I don't know how much a donut is off the top of my head, but yeah. it's a lot of calories, right? I'd but probably, it's also, yeah. It's also carbohydrates. And so like yep. understanding how your body metabolizes carbohydrates versus yeah. protein versus fats. And like the ketogenic diet is a thing, which is fat based, which is so weird and interesting. Right. Um, and so, you know, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to use this technology to bring my attention to to myself and my my life habits. Mm-hmm. So on a you know, on a good day I go to the gym or I run for a couple of miles and I burn 600 calories and then, you know, I eat like I I'm, I eat up to a point that I have a 500 calorie deficit mm-hmm. and then I lose a pound a week, right? right. Like that's just how that goes. And yeah. and not only and it, and it's all it all works together where if I if I exercise but I don't have a calorie deficit, I'm still getting benef- really good benefits of exercise and feeling right. better and sleeping better. Um, and if I um, have a, a lower exercise day, but I'm managing like what I'm eating and when I'm eating, then I'm you know I'm not like I stress eat and yep. like I binge eat yeah. and like oh man it's family stuff. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about it. <laughs> and uh, um, you know then then I feel like I'm breaking those habits that I want to get rid of like yeah. let go of i think and, for, for me it, it's that combined with i feel more in control like like i know what the outcome is yeah. like if if i choose to go food crazy yeah which occasionally hey you know, absolutely like, you have to once in a while you have to. to hey treat yourself yeah, exactly um and so um pax it, east is coming up yeah you, know? <laughs> you can't eat you can't eat well in boston it's too cold <laughs> um, um fish yeah, fried okay. fish yeah, and chips yeah, yeah. the salmon ro- now i'm just thinking about food yeah what about Steak uh tips. let's, let's talk about can we talk about i met the the creator of cook serve delicious yeah he was very nice cool he came to my talk um on wednesday um i gave a quick talk about um about centrist it was a micro talk five mm. minute talk uh the whole thing was audio talks about like what's next for game audio so i basically talked about like why i made it like wanting to help people make make music like mm-hmm. we talked about earlier yeah lower that barrier and sort of what worked and what didn't. Um, I showed a couple of clips of shelved prototypes. Mm. So like this is something I'm starting to talk about, which is like after Centris was finished, I prototyped like four new sequels yeah. and shelved them all one at a time because mm. it's still just trying to figure out like what is that thing? Like what is it actually missing that uh, that that's it's still not there with the goal? Yeah. Um, and I think that um, 
I also asked the room to help me solve that goal, like <laughs> by making their own games, right? Because mm-hmm. the more music games we have that help people turn, become musicians that would not have been otherwise, but want to, the better. Um, and maybe I'm not good enough to solve that problem, right? I think it's, it's, it's like, it's that thing of like getting people to think about rhythm, but, uh, but there's the human barrier of just like mm-hmm. people that just walk and go like, oh, I don't know. I don't have any rhythm. Yeah. It's like, no, you do. Like your heart beats. Like you can, yeah. you can pick it up. Mm-hmm. You can figure it out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I think, I think anyone like if they can get past themselves yeah. there's a lot of active discouragement though yeah. right like like the music we listen to is so produced and right. like we yeah. just it's ubiquitous so like it, that and, and, that know, was the thing like the number of people that are just like afraid of their own voice quote yeah. you know to hear yeah. people say it, you know and, and the idea of just like so when I started making music, yeah. uh, when I when I started a band, it was like just like out of fucking nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, my friend, so it was the worst reasons to start a band. A friend of mine saw another band not merchandising well enough, mm. and he was like, "Man, they could be doing so much better. We need to start a band to sell merch." Basically, <laughs> well, that's, that's <laughs> the right attitude. That was his whole goal. Like for for him, it was a business the whole way in, and that's eventually what. It's like uh, the most cynical yeah, approach it was, ever. It was eventually the thing that that split it up. Um, was that as it formed and be, well, you know because we were rapping mm-hmm. and like I had never really thought about the very idea of just like okay i need to write rhymes mm-hmm. i need to fit these beats and we need to make the beats mm-hmm. and all this other stuff mm-hmm. and I, I think you know you cut a lot of corners when you start sampling at least we you know we were you know obviously like there's an art to that and you can take it to a real extreme but mm-hmm. we were like uh i don't know let's loop this guitar bit here and then put this drum track yeah. and this other song over it but even that just yeah. the raw matching up of tempos and all this other stuff led to such an initial understanding of that stuff that i never really had before yeah and it got me to a point where, like, ah, you know, I think playing the drums would be really fun. Mm-hmm. Like, I, it led to, like, this understanding of, like, that type of rhythm. And mm-hmm. and I got to a point where I can almost, I can do two things at once on a drum kit, but not three. Okay. Which on a real out, drum kit yeah, or dr- yeah. rock band drum kit? Uh, both. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But it turns out you need to be able to do three things at once to it, actually do it four. for real. Or four. Uh, like, real, you know, yes. Alex yes, can, like, exactly. m- yeah, he's, each yeah. foot and each hand are doing yeah. totally different things. I don't know how he does it. Yeah, it's, I mean. But that feeling, how did it feel? Like, did you have a moment when you put something together and you played it back and you're like, this sounds fucking good? It was years later. Okay. Yeah. Um, really? Where, like, oh, I, nice. I felt like I had this this thing of, like, you know, whatever, we're touring, like we're playing shows, we're going out, we're doing this thing. We added a band, which then took me out of the music creation aspect of it mm-hmm. because they were just, they were doing all that stuff and I showed up and cursed and left. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and, but then years later, like I kind of, after getting away from that and uh, me and a roommate started a band mm-hmm. and started making just music again it was like mm-hmm. me sitting in front of a computer going like, okay, well, I'm going to write a bass line. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to write a melody track. Then he's going to come in and play guitar over it. Uh, and then we're going to write these lyrics and just, and the idea was we were going to just go start to finish on a song mm-hmm. every Sunday hungover mm-hmm. in about an hour and a half. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so without time to overthink it, without time to reflect and go like, I don't like the sound of the, without time to sit there and pick it apart and, and really get judgy about it and mm-hmm. get really self-conscious about it. Mm-hmm. It led to, it, it was great, you know, like it was just like yeah. every week it was something totally like pretty different, uh, within our skill set anyway. And and we just started putting this stuff together, and it was yeah. maybe about a year and a half in that I finally wrote something that I was like, I actually think this might be good. Yeah. Uh, How did that feel? Uh, it was it was horrible because oh. sudden, suddenly, 
suddenly it, it felt really good and then there was suddenly a tremendous amount of pressure around mm. that piece of music to then go like okay we need to finish this yeah. and i want to make it good now i don't just want to make it I want to make it good. And, and that suddenly, can work against you. And suddenly that's 20 more hours. Yeah. Or if not, if not a month yeah. or something. Yeah. Uh, and then from there, like our, our pace really slowed down. And and the work changes at that point. And maybe it's not like the things that were fun in the beginning yeah. are no longer there because you're, you're, you're polishing, right? Yes. Yeah. It was less playful. It was yeah. less the create from nothing and more of the yeah. I need to just put in the time on this thing and get this to line up with this. Yep. And this is like I hear it in my head and I just need to get there yep. and Yep. And all that. But like, yeah, that was definitely like there were things that I wrote that were very much just like, I'm going to sit down and try to create something that sounds like a level that would be in yeah. a res game. Yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, I feel like everyone with a care about res <gasps> goes through that point of just like, I'm going to have something that just like very clearly has this is the point where you would shift mm-hmm. layers. Mm-hmm. This is uh-huh. the point where you would shoot the thing and move up. Yeah. 10 drops yeah. per song. Yeah. So, so I have a, I have a story. Can I tell this story? Mm-hmm. Um, I, um, I went to Denmark. I was playing in this band. I was playing. Okay. We had a, we had a party at unity. I brought rock band from the United States because it wasn't out in Europe. Yet. Oh, wow. so we were playing yeah, this yeah. imported version and I was playing the drum kit. And one of my coworkers was like, Hey, do you ever play real drums? It's like, no. He's like, well, we need a drummer. So come play. It's <laughs> like, Oh shit. Okay. Um, and I ended up playing with, um, with these guys, Lars and liner mm. for, two years um started on the drum kit and then um switched to synth and drum machine i switched to ds10 a korg ds10 okay, yeah. with like an fx chain yeah um which was really fun it sounds and fun it was cool um uh, the band is called moskauer bluthund which is german for the bloodhound from moscow it's a good name <laughs> yeah it was yeah um uh, the, lars is um uh, a seventh grade in, uh, history teacher <laughs> so he and he's you know he's basically i mean denmark's kind of a socialist country mm-hmm. but, but he's basically a communist where he'd be like i have to teach the children about the revolution <laughs> um and uh and uh liner is a, like a caretaker for for people that can't take care of themselves and mm. it's just like wonderful humans really talented musicians and they were like already sort of playing post-rock yeah right so it's kind of like more it's more popular now than right. it was at the time it's more droney more like Textury, mm-hmm. and um, so I brought in my DS10 and like started doing some beats and started doing some synth. Um, we had this process of jamming, and um, we never wrote down the the the, the chords or yeah. the or the songs on paper. Um, we just like kept rehearsing them over and over again until like they started to become consistent. Um, and we would sometimes just do jam sessions and see like if new songs would emerge. Yeah. Um, and it was like a year. A year and a, it was a year of just like sort of um, searching, right? Like like tripping over each other and mm-hmm. failing, and like it's never quite gelling. And then there was just this, there was this one rehearsal I'll never forget it, um, where we were jamming, and this magical thing happened. So we would jam in this small rehearsal room, and we all had our own amplifiers. So we were we were f- firing our music at each other, and. Um, Lars and I were riffing off of each other, mm-hmm. and then Liner came with his in with the guitar and started started playing this texture, and then the two of them chord changed together, and then I changed the beat like right after in this really satisfying way, yeah. and we just started to flow like the three of us like right. were doing this nonverbal communication that was like magic and ethereal, mm-hmm. and like the music was so loud and like you could feel it and you could hear it, and we'd never made something so like conversational 
before. Right. And it felt so good. Like we must have just played that for like 20 minutes. Um, and then when, when it like faded out, I was like, I was like crying because it's like this feeling of like, we're making something together. And like, I feel like I'm a musician for the first time in my life. And Mm -hmm. I've wanted that for years. And now I feel like I've hit this and like, this feeling is so good. Like I want to share that with everyone. And, and that, and that was the moment where I was like, oh, well that's what centrist should be. Mm -hmm. And so I've been trying to chase that feeling for the last 10 years. Right. So, so, um, um, it's really, really special. It's a really special feeling. It's like crack. Yeah, and it's it's, it's, <laughs> it's so special. It's, it's just like rack. It's interesting how rock band can actually synthesize a percentage of that that is like yeah. perceptible, and I think important. Yeah, it doesn't get you all the way there. It kind of can't, but <sighs> there's something about it's it's the multiplayer aspect of it right yeah. it's the social aspect of just like yeah. here's these four people like we're you know we're playing each other's music on mm-hmm. not real instruments mm-hmm. but there's just enough of it there yeah and something that guitar hero never had you know guitar yeah. hero being like this score focus just like i'm gonna try to shred as hard as i can mm-hmm. like th- there was something about that that like when rock band was kind of like in its lane mm-hmm Mm-hmm. it was it was magic in a similar it, way it is ma- yes, yeah it's still it magic still, it still is it still is um, um like the like to me the social aspect is so much right like yeah. rock band is great at like rock star simulator yeah you know like we would have parties at unity where like people would be ripping off their t-shirts mm-hmm. grabbing the microphone and jumping on the coffee table everyone like, is looking for a fake monitor to put a foot on yes yes just being like pretending to be a rock star like that yeah. fantasy fulfillment um and people are watching like especially if you're at a party right, right. there's four people playing and there's a however many more people watching and then you're performing for your friends as an audience and and I, and I love that it makes that it, that it 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 works so well to bring up this feeling, um, but it it doesn't provide the other side right. at all. It doesn't provide yeah. the the creative satisfaction, and and that's maybe a reason that it hasn't that it hasn't continued right to be as popular. Also, they, right? they tried to you know they, they tried different bits and pieces of just like oh we're gonna you know they they built their for Rock Band Four like the algorithm yeah. of just like okay we're gonna make sure that like you can kind of solo yeah and yeah it's. On paper, you're like, yeah. that's what this needs. And then mm-hmm. in, in reality, you're like, actually, the last thing I want at a karaoke show is mm-hmm. someone just going for it on their own uh, <laughs> in a way that doesn't fit with the song I like. Uh, yeah. And, and it, it's just not the same. I th- I think that that's true. Yeah. Uh, I, I also think that like the p- people just got it just socially, like the parties just became too much the same yep right like you're performing at some for point your the same group the of friends you, you know you know the songs yeah. you know your you know that you know james is gonna do this funny thing mm-hmm. like dump the dump the water on his head or whatever at yeah. this moment in this song it's like you've seen it and it's yep. tired mm-hmm. and like you know at a rock at a, in in when you're when you're touring you're at new venues every all the time right. you're new audiences all the time your old tricks are y- yeah in front of a new audience they're you, new tricks you can do it that way it's uh, like it's like you, you every mean, night i'm gonna yes. jump off the stage here and then do this yep. here yep. And, yeah and yeah. you but you also have bad shows right totally. and like even when you have bad shows you still do the thing um, i loved bad shows uh, when we were playing they were my favorite you have helped me appreciate <laughs> bad things in my life so much so thank you for that just in general um okay. i loved i loved playing to in different audiences and as we were a rap group playing around punk and ska bands in 90 
96, 97, 98, yeah. uh, we played to a lot of audiences that had no interest in what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And then we suddenly were backed by a ska band. We, we started, we, we were backed by performers that were way better than mm-hmm. we ever deserved. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Just like just amazing guitar players and, and stuff like that. And it forced, it was really fun because it forced this crowd of people in the scene uh, that had really come to hate us a lot mm. to begrudgingly be like, fuck those guys. But okay. All right. <laughs> But still, fuck those guys. Yeah, I hate these guys. Yeah. All right. And so we would... Keep playing. All right, be done. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I I loved... Like, we would tour California. Yeah. We would go up and down. How long did you tour? Uh, it would be like a weekend at a time. Okay. Uh, okay. You know, because, you know, like I, I worked for GameSpot at the time. Was like this I, with Alex? Uh, yeah, Alex was in the band for a while. Uh, I want to be in a band that's, with you and Alex. That's how I met Alex is when what? Alex was... <laughs> 15 what he became or maybe 16 at the time uh but he was the drummer for the, the oh mg yeah he was he hung out around the venue that was our hometown venue and uh you know the the guy who ran the venue knew that he could play drums and when we started forming a band uh he recommended alex and we're like oh alex i know him he would get up on stage when the band that we were that we were biting off of the reason why we started the band, he would get up on stage and dance during this part of their set. (laughs) I know who that guy is. Uh, Good old Alex. Yeah. And, and so I met Alex that way. Uh, and, and he was the drummer for, for years and years and and we became friends. That's so great. That can, Uh, can we all retire from video games (laughs) and then just be a band? I want to be in a band with you and Alex, please. Can we do this? Super fun. Yes. You're committed now. Yeah. Um, a hundred bands parachute mm-hmm. okay. into <laughs> a concert hall. Okay. All right. How about... Battle of the Bands Royale. A hundred floating wireframe people uh-huh. infiltrate the same cyber system uh-huh. and compete musically, uh-huh. compete and collaborate musically yes. until only one glowing light ball remains. Yes. I love it. Yeah. Um, a hundred. Okay. Now I'm just going to get out of the music <laughs> thing. I've been doing this thing on Twitter where I'm like tweeting all these pub tweet, uh, PUBG clone jokes. A hundred wacky, waving, inflatable, wavy tube men mm-hmm. parachute into a tire dealership i'm in okay yeah 100 guns okay parachute onto an island yep and and shoot each other okay great all right yeah (laughs) and just sit there waiting for the players that will never come um Uh, all right for my queer folk mm -hmm. 100 drag queens parachute onto a catwalk yep because you know that would get violent like this fierce kind of could we get like the like could we get like a paris is burning license for this Mm -hmm. yes Uh, Yes. And and do it that way, kind of the balls, the ball scene recreated mm-hmm. in battle royale form. I love it. Yeah. Um um all right. All PUBG right. realness. Yes. Yeah. Here's my last one. All right. A hundred pro wrestlers mm-hmm. parachute into a squared circle yes. in the middle of the ocean. Mm-hmm. Last one standing wins. It's called Royal Battle Royale Rumble. Yep. That's I'm accepting funding. Great. Okay. 
Battle Royale Rumble. I think I think WWE is running that show in Saudi Arabia in a couple of months. Honestly, really, really, <laughs> like not parachuting in, but it's they're, they're doing something. Paying crazy. nearly, I haven't paying attention Since to any you wrestling. Lost the belt. It's been hard to. I never paid engaged. attention. What? I stopped paying attention. <laughs> I I honestly stopped paying attention to wrestling in like the early two thousands after Rikishi hit Stone Cold with the limo. Yeah, that's probably a good time. To, I went back and watched some. There's talk now about the um, the biker version of the Undertaker perhaps coming back oh, uh, relatively soon. That'd be that's cool. The kind of the the rumor or or the fan hope. All right. And so I went back and watched the debut of Biker Undertaker, and it is going back and watching wrestling from 2000 2001. Yeah. You think in your mind like that was when it was cool, and you go back and watch it, and you're like, Jesus, this is the <laughs> dumbest shit I've ever. Oh my! How did anyone ever watch this? Um, I I took my mom. And my brother to an Impact wrestling show. Oh wow! Was it Impact? It was in Florida. Mm-hmm. Is that what? They, yeah, that's okay. yeah. They, yeah they at at the yeah. Universal Studios. That was actually. This is my first time going to a live wrestling show. It was really fun. Yeah. My mom had a good time. It was that was one of the things like you know because they do the games and stuff like that. Like sometimes they would have events for the games in conjunction with WrestleMania or yeah. SummerSlam or some of these other shows, and yeah, I got yeah. to go to a couple of WrestleManias that way. Cool. And I was like, this is neat. Yeah. This is okay. It, uh, like, the thing, seeing it live was like, when you're watching on TV, like, someone's up on the turnbuckle, yeah. and it's like, oh, well, they're standing on top of this thing, and they look stable, and they're gonna jump. Right. But, like, in person, it's like, this this looks really dangerous. This doesn't look good. This looks yeah, bad. Yeah. yeah. Like, why, why would they do that? And it's, that's where the money is. <laughs> you make the money on the top rope, I guess. Um, but I yeah, talk? so, so Astroneer. Yeah. I was going to ask if I can talk. Yeah. About so that's, that's so the, I, the kind of, it, it's the a latest fun thing. Project. Yeah. It, it is, it is a lot of things to me. Um, it is, um, I, I joined that team being very conscious that I know how to work alone. Mm-hmm. I know how to make all the decisions, do all the marketing, do all the programming, do all the designing. I maybe not so good at collaborating. Mm-hmm. So how do I approach this position and this role with a primary intention of, you know, teamwork and like collaboration, um, understanding that like I'm, we're making something, making something that's ours and not something that's mine. Right. Um, and it's been really good practice. It's been really nice to just make friends with the team and understand, get used to a different way of working, mm-hmm. um, you know, have have creative discussions, have creative conflicts, right? R- work through those, work through like to resolutions. That clash of ideas, and, yeah, and that sort of stuff. So, yeah. th- like, we we shipped this base building update, and like, we had a lot of arguments about like how much base building should there be. Like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to have modularity in in Astroneer? Right. Um. And and you know, we tried some things that were like um a more factorio direction where you have pieces that you put together that don't have their own embedded functionality, but only, but only when you put them in context with other, you know, partial functionalities, do they become a thing? And that just didn't feel right for Mm. the game. And that was something that we sort of discussed and came to that decision as a team. And it felt really good to do that. And, and, and I think that this, I think that the game's better than it's ever been. It's, um, it's fun, right? And, yeah. and like we're 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 trying to to get through to to, to 1.0 is uh is on our sites now. That's cool. Um, so how does that feel? Uh, just in terms of just, I guess like how much of it you know because the the game had already been out in early access yeah. when you had joined the team and and stuff like that, like and and had a, a, yeah. a fan base. Yeah. It, it kind of leads back to what I was talking about with Centris, mm-hmm. where, where you've got 
expectations of a player base mm-hmm. meshed with systems that you know are mm-hmm. not ready for prime mm-hmm. time or, or or not 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 done mm-hmm. uh um like how how much does that? how much does their feedback has to factor into a certain extent but like we we read everything yeah we read everything but um, do you feel do you feel like if you if, if the team came to this conclusion of just like hey this whole system that people seem to like we know it is mm-hmm. like just mm-hmm. broken especially mm-hmm. for things you want to do three four updates yeah. from now stuff like that yeah. like like how open is the team to just like okay we need we we need to kind of tear the bandit we need to rip this system out yeah we kind of did that with the research system as mm. well so research the research system refactor was sort of my primary jam um the way you research used to work was you'd find a researchable object out in the world you'd bring it back to a research station you'd power it up mm-hmm. and then you'd get a random technology yeah. um and that worked and people liked it for the most part, but it was also random, which meant that if you really wanted a rover, you might, you know, you might get a rover on your first chest mm. or you might get a rover on your on your 30th chest. And that aspect, that inconsistency was very frustrating. Yeah. Um, and and it, it's tricky because like some people, depending on if they've had a good or bad experience um, and their preferences, um, some people liked that. Yeah. Um and other people just found it so frustrating and and it pushed them away from the game. So, um for that it was like, okay, we know we have to do this. Um let's do it in a way that we have confidence will make the game will 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 keep the things that people like without um introducing or without removing things that like not not remove things that people like, mm-hmm. but also um make it ah, I'm stumbling over my words. Um, remove the problems and keep the good stuff. Right. Get it so the the people who like the system as is don't yeah. necessarily feel yeah. alienated by it. Right. Uh, so we switched to like a, a streaming points system. So we have bytes. Okay. And you, yeah. now, you now research things. You, you find the same things. Mm-hmm. You put them on the same platform. But instead of an instant unlock, you, um, you get uh, bytes coming in at a certain rate. And... Um, then you can choose to spend those points on anything. So okay. we give you we give you a catalog that has filled with with all the tech in the game, and you know some things are more expensive and some things are cheaper. And so you can choose to like, well, I want this thing, so I'm going to research. You know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna sprint toward right. the vehicle bay and the rover, or like, oh well, I I want to be more engineering focused, so I'm going to like get the mineral extractor and then just focus on building out my base. Um, and people get to make that choice. Like, right. you know, I, it's my goal to provide interesting choices for players. Mm-hmm. And even within research, like where if you find some, like if you have research operations going, if you find something that is more valuable, then you might decide to like just stop researching the thing that is going early because you're going to get a lot more points yeah. or faster, po- like fewer points, but faster mm. on the new thing. Does that lead to a situation where, you know, having to be random before, you know, you have some players that might get a really powerful object really early yeah. on. And, and so balance becomes around that sort yeah. of stuff. But with, with p- players that can choose, especially with players who may have experienced a lot of this technology already yeah, in a yeah. previous update, does it become an issue of just like, okay, well, now you need to make sure that there's not just one optimal way to play and everyone's going to be like, yeah. just sprint for this object. It makes it, it nullifies this system, this system, yeah. this system. Yeah. Uh, we, we do have the benefit of a sort of guiding principle of two kinds of players. Hmm. So pioneering players versus engineering players. 
So pioneering players, and they're sort of inversions of each other. So yeah. pioneering players want to be out and exploring the planets and away from the base, yeah. but then they have to return to like, you know, recharge or get right. their resources together. Engineering players want to stay at the base and do stuff, but they have to go out to collect things. Mm -hmm. So um, just being mindful of like, you know, some players are going to want to explore more. How can we support them with features and systems? Some players want to stay at the base more. How can we support them? And so, and the reality is that, you know, in any given session, you're going to be more in an engineering mindset or more in a pioneering mindset or back and forth. So um, there's not really... I mean, one of the things that we've we've discovered lately is that the community is telling us that the the mineral extractor is actually kind of OP because uh, um, you can get almost like it makes it much much easier to get some rarer resources mm-hmm. if you have like a luckier roll of the planet. Um, uh, okay. So like that's a problem we're looking at now, and we don't have a solution yet, but we're looking at it. Yeah. Um. So you know we want to um, address the problems thoroughly instead of quickly. Right. And so we've taken some time with research. We've taken some time with the base building update to like to ship something that, you know, we we feel confident that people are going to like. And and ideally not necessarily. I I think if you, if you know, a lot of quick fixes, you'd probably end up in a situation of like, oh, actually, we need to rebuild the system again because some of this other stuff has changed. Yeah. Quick fixes beget more quick fixes. And that's how you, you know, we we also have a goal to release an update every month. Okay, so yeah. if we're doing so. a lot of quick fixes and then like, oh, well, we only got halfway there, so we have to like mm-hmm. do more on the next fix, but also this other stuff, then that's how you lead your team into a crunch culture. Yeah. And we do not want to do that. Right. So um, um, we are looking at like, you know, we're paying attention to how many new players are coming in. We're paying attention to how many players are coming back. And we're playing, paying attention, a lot of attention to what they're saying. Um and, um, you know, we're trying to also be a little entertaining, right? So we put out yeah. video blogs and um, we do live streams of mm-hmm. the game. And our, our community guy, Joe, is really, really great at that stuff. Awesome. Um, and so, we're, you know, we're just trying to do, we're trying to follow that script. Um, it's, a, it's a script that has emerged in, with sort of more uh, open world survival crafting games, mm-hmm. that, which Astroneer is that. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot of like open-ended gameplay and you can make up your own goals. And mm-hmm. so like... We're trying to more like give you toys to play with and yeah. like, do you want to play with this? No. Okay. Well, there's like 30 other things over here. If you, right. maybe you'll like one of those. Yeah. Um, and just let, you know, we pay attention to what people do and people send us amazing screenshots of these <laughs> crazy bases they build. Like I saw the, I saw one that was like, there was a, a, a semi spherical ceiling and all of the base platforms were like glued to the ceiling oh, wow. with like all these like, um, uh, what are they called? Um, like there's like a, a winch. Mm. Like all these winches like dangling and like connecting things and oh, just wow. powering yeah. stuff. It's like, this is amazing. Um, just stuff that we never would have never designed for, but it but yeah. it works, right? And so I love seeing people's creativity with that. Um, the other day I saw someone had um, used the, the terrain tool to make a T-Rex that <laughs> had a rover in its jaws. Oh, that's cool. It was like, and we were, we were looking at that. We were like, how did they get the rover up there? <laughs> so you just have to like put the rover somewhere and then chisel around it? Yeah. Like that's... People make that's really impressive... Yeah, yeah, people do cool stuff. People make cool stru- structures with the terrain tool and, you know, now with like power cables and stuff, like yeah. people are doing some really cool things. Yeah. That's awesome. That's yeah. you know, like thinking about. Well, I mean, think about NBA, you know, like, yeah. like some of that other stuff. Like they, Astroneer's on fire. Yeah, they, I mean, 
what you know a lot of those arcade cabinets like even console games back then didn't really have the option most times but like you know like nba jam they put out like two updates to mm-hmm. it and they had to ship chips to arcades mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and all this stuff like, like the idea of just like player feedback and having that make a meaningful impact yeah it still feels so new i mean i feel like mm-hmm. it's it's not that new anymore it's it's the way of things it's it's how everything is mm-hmm. someone is always there to tell you what you're doing hopefully right yeah uh but oftentimes wrong uh yeah yeah and and but yeah something about like i guess long term it still is this relatively newish thing yeah and it's been fun to watch yeah as as much of a roller coaster and sometimes it can get super toxic and fucked up and and all that uh it still feels like a net positive i guess i think it is because at the end of the day players are passionate because they care like they like the thing Mm. it brings them joy and they want to share that you know and you can share that joy in a healthy way or in an unhealthy way and so i think that we're lucky we've also we've also worked to sort of like cultivate like healthy Mm. expressions of joy in our community yeah um and um but you know that's been work um and 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 I, i love it like i love i love engaging with people i think i also think that people just want like if people love the game, if players love the game and admire the people making the game, then mm-hmm. they just want to be noticed, right? Like we are the senpai. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, guess, we have yeah. to notice our players and um, that's work, but it's it's worth it. So, you know, I, I've I've played some Astro. I think Brad has played uh yeah. a lot Fair more than I have. Yeah. Um what if a hundred astronauts <sighs> As- yeah, a hundred astroneers a hundred astroneers land on a planet uh-huh. and then they all have to build a base so they've uh-huh. got a little bit of some kind of resources and then they i don't know they deform Shoot the terrain oh, okay. of their own they, they deform <laughs> each other with the we, terrain deformer it's actually uh, kind of fun to deform terrain under your friend's feet it actually is kind of a good troll move yeah um i like that astroneer is a non-violent game mm-hmm. it, it, it's it's non-combative um it, you know you can die you can suffocate yeah, yeah. you can uh, this or that you can get blown I, up i think there's something about suffocation in video games for me that is actually specifically space suffocation it doesn't yeah. happen in games with a lot of water usually mm-hmm. but there's something about suffocating in space in a video game that i find really rough in a way it's that kinda... in a way that gun violence never has happened for me maybe it's because there's a lot more of the the gun violence in video games to kind of get used to it or something but there's still something about this character is suffocating in space. It's kind of terrifying. It sucks. <laughs> I think everyone knows what it feels like to hold your breath. Mm-hmm. Not everyone feel, knows what it feels like to get hit with a bullet. Yeah. You know, so like you can relate. It's, a, it's relatable. You. Like I breathe every day. And then when we have that really good sound that Riley made of just the. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's bad. It's bad. Uh, I, <laughs> Brad's the, face. Yeah, the. <laughs> the yeah, there's just something specifically about like I, I suffocated once in Astroneer, and I was like, I, mm, I'm going to come back to this. One of the one of the team members is has like a thing about um about that very about yeah. about the sound of breathing. Yep. And so if you listen, if you heard that just now, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's um, I think that we there's a toyetic 
nature to Astroneer, mm-hmm. where like it looks like action figures. It looks like right. cool things that you would buy that you would unpack from a box. Yeah, like, like put on a planet, plugging different modules into each other. Yeah. Kind of recalls Lego in a way. Yeah, so so I think that that lightheartedness, or tinker yeah. toys, um, that lightheartedness is important. Um, so that even when you suffocate, it doesn't feel. It doesn't feel heavy, yeah. or if it does, it's just it's just for a moment. Yeah, and there's then, that moment like, of just like, fine. oh gee, oh god, yeah, this is yeah. Oh, well, oh, okay, well, but, whatever. I respawn is fine. At the same time, I kind of also want to like blow people's minds with like, yeah, you know, you run across your corpse, and it's like, wait, that's, that's where I died. Well, then I'm standing am- here. Who am I? Yeah, what am I? <laughs> um, I'm very interested in that angle. Yeah. Um, do you think that? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, this is probably a pretty far off thing but actually you mentioning that there's like this like lego like aspect to it and this action figure like aspect to it like the way all that stuff fits together Mm -hmm. and the modular nature of it at some point you're like actually this would be a really kick-ass set of of real actual toys i think so yeah Yeah. i think so i i I, i'm not the only person on the team that feels that way so one one of the people uh one of the artists on the team um, actually has a background in some marketing and mm. um, loved the game before he started. And so he made, he 3D printed an Astroneer. Like oh, he 3D cool. modeled and yeah. then 3D printed an Astroneer um, statuette cool. with like the back, like a functional yeah, backpack. A functional ba- like yeah, has neat. the resources with magnets that yeah. snap together. So like there's kind of a prototype of that already. Yeah. Um, I don't, I, you know, I don't know what'll happen. Of that, course. Like yeah, doing no, that no, sort no. of I'm not asking like, hey, announce, a, announce a, a toy line right here. <laughs> uh, no, nothing. As long as it yeah. has act- uh, Kung Fu grip. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you have to be able to, A, Kung Fu fighting in space. Yeah. Uh, B, <sighs> hold stuff. Yeah, has there yeah. been a zero G kung fu fighting game? I, hmm. I don't know. That there seems be. like something that like I want to play that. I mean, there's definitely like a lot of like the Gundam stuff. There's been okay. space robot combat. Yeah, but even but, that is more sh- almost. But like I want ships. I want ragdoll kung fu in zero right. G. Yeah, I want that or, or, or Tori Bash the, in zero yeah, G. The idea of just like how do you get force yeah. behind? That seems like that. Mean well, uh, um, Echo Arena. In, okay. In VR is okay. kind of yes. You know because it does have that head strike because you're always like moving. Yeah. A little bit of that movement combined with you know like light combat at least. Yeah. Like if that was just one on one combat focused. Man. So huh. cool. All right. It's like that scene in Altered Carbon. Yeah. Which the book is way better, by the way. I'm sure. Um, uh, so there it is. You're back into VR, I guess. Back into <laughs> VR. I. You know what? Let me take off this headset. Yeah. I was in VR the whole time. Um, what was I going to say last thing? I was going to say something. I lost it. Oh, well. Okay. Yeah. Um, video games and space mm-hmm. and music. These are the universal themes of our life. I want to say thank you for having me. No, thanks for Um, me. I'm doing this thing where like I just got so much support and, um, uh, camaraderie from like doing this weird music game Mm -hmm. and like i was really really obsessed for years about like perfection and shape and sound that like uh i forgot about people for for a lot for a lot of my professional career lately and so i'm trying to come back around to like two people (laughs) and like you know like i'm yeah i totally get it i feel like i've kind of gone through some similar stuff recently as well yeah but but, but i mean so 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 thank you for doing what you do jeff thank you brad for doing what you do and for having me and for 
um, just video for just all the conversations about video games. Yeah. Like still, you guys are still, I'm glad I feel uh, blessed and privileged that you're my friends. I can call you my friends and it's just cool to be part, part, a friend of the site where I can just show up and I watched you guys for years and years and you're it's awesome to be times. here. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I remember the, you came by the basement with, with Danny B. Yeah. yeah. I dropped was, by yeah. one day. Yeah. Like, yeah. That was really fun. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming through. Thanks for having me. And have a good rest of your GDC. Thanks. You have a great week. All right.